I'm happy to be here today. This is not what I do, so for anybody that's new here, I am not the preaching pastor, so uh, just lot of, lots of grace, you know. Um, we do have somebody here that preaches pretty much week in and week out. Uh, somewhere in Romans it says to outdo one another in showing honor. Then in Timothy it says to let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So last week, Grant, uh, you said that your ambition that God has placed on your heart is to feed the flock. Um, and it's been eight years now-ish, maybe, since you were ordained, and then five year, over five years here, that he's week after week faithfully brought the word of God to the flock. And so I do want to say thank you, and uh, we honor you for that, and he deserves a round of applause for that. It is, it is hard work, um, you know, preparing for this sermon this morning, you know, just to find the time to get humble and get under the text and then go from being humble in heart to rejoicing over the text. Uh, it's a lot of, lot of heart work, and you can see it in his preaching that he does that. And so, yeah, I just want to honor him this morning. Um, and then one more thing. It would not be good for me to stand up here and not love you. My heart's been uh, dull this morning, so I want to repent of that and let you know I do love you. <laughs> so if I spoke with all wisdom and knowledge and had not love, I would be a clanging symbol, right? So um, I don't want to be that to you today. So, um, so let's just pray, and I'm going to ask God to help me. Father in heaven, you are so good. In me, there is no goodness. Except for what you have planted in me by the Holy Spirit. And it is by that gift, by that seed, by that power that I ask that you help me to speak this truth in love. And that these hearts and ears can hear your truth and be motivated for your gospel to be proclaimed among the nations. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we learned that we should be ambitious for God. Did anybody get a tally on the word ambitious? <laughs> um, we should attempt great things for God. 
and expect great things from God. We learn that we should all be ambitious for God and do risky things for his glory, empowered by his spirit, and informed by his word. Remember that from last week? Uh, that is very great. I mean, it just kind of gets you pumped, right? Like, yes, let's all win the world for God, you know? Um, but something that came to mind before I want to jump back into that was um, we need to make sure we don't put the cart before the horse. Um, so this is going to be just a gentle reminder before we jump in the text. Sometimes I can get so passionate about something, about God and his glory and the nations and all this stuff that I forget to love the people right in front of me. And some of these truths about God's word and they stir in you and you, you, know, you get so busy trying to chase them down and you look past your wife and you look past your uh, coworkers and, and they're right there. God's put them right there for you to love. Um, and so I just want to remind us of that. So the way I, I kind of parse these things is, um, so I look at it as like we got the great command Okay, the great command and then the great commission. Okay, so the great, the great command, we, you know, this just makes it simple for me. Um, the great command, Paul summed up in Romans 13, uh, 13, 8 through 10. So this, we've already been here. And sometimes when you're reading through a book of the Bible, you forget that this was just read two chapters ago, you know, because it's been, what, six weeks before we preached, you know, since we preached on it. Um, but there in Romans 13, um, 8 through 10, it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the great command. So you don't have to memorize all 600 plus laws from the Old Testament. You fulfill that law when you love, okay? Jesus said that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. On this hangs all the law and the prophets, okay? It's a pretty encompassing word there, right? So I call that the great command. We also have to let Scripture define love for us because we use the word love so flippantly in our culture. Piper loves macaroni and cheese. I hope that's not what she thinks about when she thinks about the love she has for me. You know, If I'm competing with macaroni and cheese, I might fail. Um, but he says that we, uh, we love with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, Jesus says. Our heart and our soul pertaining to our inner man, our affections, and then our mind and our strength pertaining to the actions that come out of that. And Paul knows we can get off track with this. So Paul wrote Romans. Um, 
He knows that we can do a bunch of religious and good things, religious things and good things, and totally miss the mark. So he said in 1 Corinthians 13, very familiar chapter for everybody. Uh, It's the love chapter, right? He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So you can do all of these things. Why would he say, if, if and have not love? I, you can do all of these things and not have love. You can do them for the wrong reasons. You can do religious things. You can do good things and have not love in your heart, and they are nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, if that's not convicting... Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I just don't want to get too amped up. I do want to get amped up about being ambitious for God, for the nations. I do want to get amped up about that, but I want to just refocus us just for a second. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, see us, there's some reasons why it's, it's easy to stop loving. It's easy to get dull. It's easy to feel numb. Okay. C.S. Lewis said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Okay. So there, that's a huge reason right there that we don't want to love. You're automatically vulnerable. Um, and that's, that's a scary thing. I mean, if you, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13 and you list all those things, you know, uh, what's he say there? Be kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable, resentful, all those things. It's a pretty vulnerable posture in a, in a world of wolves. 
you know? It actually looks pretty foolish to do that. And, and we got to fight against our own hearts and our own minds and our own worldly wisdom that says, you know, I can't, I can't love this guy, you know. It's, it's, I'm too, it's too scary. You know, he's going to hurt me. He's going to disappoint me, whatever. Not only does vulnerability keep us from loving, but other emotions keep us from loving, like being irritable, frustrated, uh, something that popped in my mind. Be angry and do not sin. There is an awful lot to be angry about in 2023 in our culture in America. An awful lot to be angry about. It, it vexed Lot's righteous soul to live in Sodom. There's, there's a lot of bad things going on that we can get angry about. Do not sin. Be angry and do not sin, it says. So the opposite of that, the, so do not sin is a negative, but be angry, uh, maybe a positive would be be angry and let the anger fuel love. Figure out how to do that. Because you're not ever not going to be angry. There are things that make us angry here. There's things that make us irritable, annoyed, right? Frustrated, all of these things. Use, take those things that you can't stop them from happening, I don't think, unless, unless you get numb and dull and all that stuff, right? So you're going to feel these things. So, but when you have them, You've you got to do something with them, so you're going to sin, or you're going to let them fuel, fuel the love, okay? And, and I don't quite know how to do that, so go to Grant for that. Uh, it's just something I've been thinking about, and if we could do that, it would help. Um, another thing Jesus said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end will be saved. So all the sin we see out in the world causes our hearts to get hard. We got to watch that because he who endures to the end will be saved. So things like this, things like gathering together on a Sunday morning, they, they uh, help realign us with that mission, that aim, that goal. Because as we go throughout the week, we're bombarded, right? And it's like, ah, I don't, I don't feel loving at all, you know? Um, so we stir one another. It says, to not neglect the gathering. In Hebrews, says, not to neglect the gathering, to stir one another up to love, to stir us up to love. I need you to help me love on my own, I can't do it. So we stir one another up to love and good works. And then another thing that we got to do, and we'll get into a little bit later in, in uh, Romans, is communing with God. If you're not with him and spend time with him, you will not have the love needed to be ambitious for God. So... 
too much time about that. Just a reminder on love. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip all this. Okay. Uh, Paul, Paul sums it up in Timothy. Uh, maybe 1 Timothy. Maybe 2 Timothy. I don't know. You got Google. Uh, and he just says... The aim of our charge is love. So if there's a focus, if there's an aim for your life, just let it be love. That's it. Okay? All right. So that's the great command. Um, so I, I emphasize that because there, it is possible to get ambitious for God and leave our first love. Okay? Um, Great Commission. The great, kind of like the Great Command looks different for everybody, right? So like uh, in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, okay? And then uh, he says, hey, when, you, when, you, uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me, right? And they're like, whoa, when did we ever do that to you? And like when you did it to the least of these, to the least of these people out here, right? When you did it to the least of them, you did it to me, right? And so some of us will be, uh, you know, taking care of orphans or widows, and some of us will be loving people in the medical field, and some of us will be loving people in uh, construction or, um, you know, homeschooling or what, whatever, all of that. So that it just looks different, right, for everybody, right? That's good, but so does the Great Commission. It looks different. Not everybody's going to go, okay? So... Actually, not many are going to go, okay? So what Paul, what Paul gets into in, these, in this text here in uh, Romans 15 is go, send, and pray, okay? Go, send, and pray. That's what we do. We go, we send, we pray, all right? So let's look at the text in uh, Romans 22. Uh, verse 22, verse 22 through 24, chapter 15 of Romans. He says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So the reason why he's been so hindered so often from coming to them is that he's been doing his ambitious work for the kingdom, right? Uh, he was passionate about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That was his life ambition. He's shown us by way of example that we are to go to the nations. Jesus actually commanded us to go to the nations. Paul is that great example for us. Uh, he had been around the whole known land at that time, and 
to complete his call, he wanted to get to Spain, okay? Uh, according to scholars, Spain, uh, also known as ancient Tarshish, uh, it's listed in Isaiah 66, was the end of the world according to the thinking of Paul's time. Like, that's the furthest point that they knew about at that time. When Paul wrote Romans, he had other believers. He and other believers had taken the gospel to every region in Isaiah 66 except Tarshish, except Spain. Okay, That's why he says, I no longer have work to do in these areas. Like There's a lot of people that have never heard the gospel in those areas. But Paul, Paul, remember, he's not about building on another man's foundation. He's t- trying to take the gospel to where it's never been heard. So it's, it's, a, it's a unique ambition, okay? He tells Timothy, he says, stay in Ephesus. He tells Timothy, stay in Ephesus. Do the work of evangelist, okay? So there's, there's people, plenty of people here that need to hear the gospel, right? That's what Paul, you know, he knows that. Not everybody's supposed to go. But he has a unique ambition. So Paul believed it was his calling to bring together the fullness of the Gentiles. Spain was the last known place, so he was ambitious to get there. We now know of more places, right? So Paul has passed the baton on to the future generations of believers. And really, we've done a pretty good job in the past 2,000 years. The church, with all of its flaws, with all of its sin, and, you know, a lot of it, yeah, we can't, we don't, we can't make excuses for. But we have covered some ground with the gospel. Um, some, some strategists today that are about the Great Commission think possibly we only have about a hundred roughly more little territories, little tribes to get to that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So between when Jesus was, I mean, and you know, we, we live in a time where there's cars and airplanes. Most of this stuff was you're packing all of your belongings into your casket and then putting it on the boat because you know you ain't never coming back. And, and, and you're there for years and years and years. And it takes you a year to even get to the place. And you probably die on the way there. <laughs> for, for roughly 2,000 years. It's just in recent history that we have what we have, the capabilities to get around, you know. So, you know, you could, you could look at it like, man, it's been 2,000 years. Or you could look at it like, man, these guys, they're heroes. And I think they are. Because, um, you know, and Paul says that, you know. How, you know, he, he was ambitious about getting the name out there because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, right, he says in Romans. I think it's Romans 10. How are, how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
I mean, that's powerful right there. They're, they're heroic people. They give up everything. All the comforts we have, all the securities we have, wives, children. I mean, they get... They give up all the comforts and all, all the things that make us happy, you know? Uh, they give up Christmas when they go to Hindu lands because they can't celebrate Christmas, you know, or whatever, you know? And so they say no to a lot of things, right? They say no. They're, they're hindered by this passion, and they say no to a lot of things. And, and Paul has passed that baton on, and... I think maybe he's passed it on to some of you. We have a unique opportunity, being Americans, being wealthy, to travel places that are pretty hard to get to. So some of you may be going. I don't know who. Um, I don't think it's me now, but um, I would go if I could. Um, But some of you young guys... You know, it'd be a good ambition. Um, But we also have the ones who send. So uh, in verse 24, Paul expects those in Spain to help him on his journey, right? Because he's going to go by them. So they are sending. But before, before he goes into stirring them up, well, as he's talking about them sending, he, he stirs them up, okay? And he uses verses 25 through 29 to stir them up to send, okay? So this is where most of us are going to land in the Great Commission. We're going to be senders, okay? So, so listen to this. Verse 25 through 29, at present, however... I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. By way of you is another way of asking to be sent by them. Um, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here he emphasizes, he emphasizes something that he says it twice. They were pleased to do this. He says that they owed it to them as well, right? But he says twice that they're pleased to do it. So this is where that factor of love that I mentioned earlier is. It is affection combined with action. So they have the affection. They were, they were pleased to do the, pleased to serve. It, it pleased them in their inner man, and it looked like an outpouring of material blessings. So in Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, it gives an account of Macedonia and Achaia, and what that looked like for them. So in chapter 8, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. So they hear of this need, and they are passionate about it. They're begging Paul, please let us be a part of this. Let us be a part of this. And trust me, when we go to the other side and the kingdom is fully here and realized, we're going to want to be like, yeah, I was a part of that. Maybe I didn't get to go, but man, I sent, and I wanted to send more than I had means to. In chapter 9, talks about Macedonia and Achaia again. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. This is to send, to give, to to give. This is what they're doing. And he's using Macedonia and Achaia as examples. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready we would be humiliated. He's been bragging on the Corinthian church, saying, man, they're going to give like you guys give. Your zeal is, you know. And then he's like, but when we get there, you know, don't, don't humiliate me. Uh, to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance. So he's being a little bit wise here. You know, hey, guys, remember we talked about this? Let's put our, put our money where their mouth is. Uh, you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. So get to the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Macedonia reaped. They sowed bountifully, and they're going to get spiritual blessings, he talks about in Romans 15. Spiritual blessings from the Gentile, or from the, uh, from the saints because of this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency... In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's interesting because a lot of times when, when we're thinking about, you know, investing in the kingdom in this way, giving money away, we're thinking, ah, I'm giving up on, uh, let's see, sit here. I'm giving up on my sufficiency. I'm giving away my, my sufficiency. I'm giving away, uh, you know, 
my grace or, you know, the favor that God has had on me, I'm, I'm giving it away. I don't, I'm not going to be as secure. I'm not going to be, you know. But Paul flips it and says, when you do this, when you sow bountifully, you'll not only reap bountifully spiritually, but that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. I don't know what you're looking for, but if you're not look like that's what you're looking for. <laughs> all grace, all sufficiency in all things at all times. Are you kidding me? So basically God, you got us covered here? I don't have to worry about this. I I'm not the big Big bad provider for my family? You're actually taking care of this? And I can be free to just give and love and be vulnerable, but know that all grace is coming at me? So he, say, he does say that they owe it to him, but man, they want to do it. They want to. They're passionate about it. And for most of us, that, that's where we're going to be when it comes to the Great Commission. Be, be passionate about sending. You know? Jesus said... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. So some of you will go. I encourage everyone to send. Some of you will go. I encourage you all to send. But Paul appeals. So, verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This appeal catches my eye. He says to them to pray with the preface. He appeals for prayer by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. That's a pretty weighty term right there. So he's not saying like, he's like, send in joy. Be happy to, you know, be happy to send. You know, be happy to go, serve, you know, serve in love and go in love. But at the end of the day, I appeal to you, by King Jesus. 
by the love of the Spirit, please strive with me in prayer. Your going and your ascending doesn't amount to anything apart from prayer. We, hear, we kind of hear that all the time if you hang around missionaries enough. Missionaries, they often say, like, we don't, we don't need your money. We need your prayer. We'll take your money. They, they will take your money. Um, <laughs> but they're like, I, we need your prayer, right? So looking at this, he asked them to strive together in prayer. So the word there, striving, so he's asking them to strive. The, the word striving comes from the Greek word agonizomai. You guys hear agonizomai? You guys hear what's in that agony, right? It's not, it doesn't sound like a fun word, right? Agonizomai. The definition is to struggle, to compete for a prize, to contend with an adversary, to endeavor to accomplish something, to fight, to labor fervently, to strive. Okay? This is what he's requesting that they do by the Lord Jesus Christ and in the love of the Spirit. Okay? It's the same root word where Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that he prayed in agony. In Luke, it says that we strive, same word, strive, we strive to enter the narrow gate. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. That word exercises is the same word, agonizomai. In John 18, Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. In my, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Fighting is the word agonizomai there. Okay? So I'm just trying to paint a picture of, of what this, like what is Paul asking that we do? Is he, is he asking us, and I'm not saying don't pray before you eat dinner, but is that the agonizomai that he's talking about? I don't, I don't think so. We should be thankful in all things. So thank God for food. I'm not knocking that. But this is, this is a specific request from Paul. And he knows, he knows the business that he's asking for here. It's unique. And it's something we all should be doing. He's appealing to us to do this, Okay. So it was curious to me why he says to strive, why to agonize, agonizomai in prayer. Well, and so I thought of a few things. And this might just be me, but when I go to pray for kingdom prayers, not just thanking God for my wife's cooking, um, Right when we go in to pray, 
Uh, does this ever happen to anybody? Just thoughts just start flooding. Even thoughts that are like, what in the world is that? I've never even thought that before. Why is that popping in my head when I'm trying to go to King Jesus? You know? Like these fiery darts are just, you know, I'll tell you what it is. is Satan is scared of people who get on their knees and pray and beg God to spread the gospel. He does not want that. So, man, he's shooting those darts right when he sees you going. You've got to fight. You've got to wrestle. You've got to wrestle against an adversary there. Another, another thing that gets in my way, lack of time, family obligations, work, busyness. I mean, where do I get the time to get serious about those things, to block out those thoughts, to get my heart right, and start interceding with kingdom prayers, right? So I've got my own internal things that are going on as well that I've got to struggle against. And then external distractions, entertainment, laziness, guilty. I'll just stay in bed for a little bit longer. I could get up and pray. I'd rather watch this TV show, you know, whatever it is. Just all kinds of distractions. We have the most distractions on earth that has ever existed. (laughs) They're just bombarding us. All the time. And then there's another one that I thought of. And this isn't, I don't know, maybe there's, think about your own and and fight them. But unbelief. Unbelief keeps, keeps us from praying. Do you believe that the Great Commission is dependent on your prayers? If you do not pray, it will not happen. You need to believe that. That is the heart of what Paul is getting at there when he says, I appeal to you, brothers. I implore you, I beseech you, please, I beg you. It only happens one way. And we got to fight to do it. The most holy ambition can get in the way of prayer. No ambition is greater than your prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. I've been striving to follow Jesus for about 12 years, I guess. The hardest thing for me to do is to pray. Kingdom prayers. Fighting prayers. Wartime prayers.
I'm very encouraged because he says, strive together. And so the most I've been um, successful in this is when I have some brothers striving with me. When you have a group of people to strive together with, they keep you going. They stir you up. They keep you accountable. So I encourage you, if, if you're not there, if, I mean, if, if you're in your closet and you're praying and agonizami in your closet and you've got that down, for, for one, please come in after and teach me. I, it's such a struggle for me. But also, if you don't, get together. There's, there's people here. I, I don't know if you know how unique this is, that people actually love the Word of God. Right? And it's not just a cultural thing here. People read their Bibles. People pray. So get together with people. Start praying kingdom prayers together. Fight together. It's not an easy life. Grant mentioned, uh, I think it was a Bonhoeffer quote, whenever Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Is that Bonhoeffer? I think it was Bonhoeffer. He bids him to say no to good things like sleeping in, like entertainment, enjoying some time with my family. I mean, he says things like that. Jesus says things like that. They make you really uncomfortable, you know, because you think it's a good thing to spend time with your family. But if that's at the expense of prayer, you've got your priorities out. They're just out of whack. That's it. It's tough, it's hard, it's vulnerable, it's, it's love, it's sacrificial. And Jesus said, he came so that we would have life and life abundant. He says he tells us these things so that our joy may be full. So, it sounds really hard, and now i got to die. He bids me to come and die so that I will have life abundant. That's what you want. There's only one way to get there, though. It's, it's, it's a hard path. It's the cross. But you want it. Trust me. You want it. You want to strive for it. You want to keep pursuing Keep going. Grab some brothers. Grab some sisters. Pursue together. Stir one another up. If you don't have people to send, get with Pastor Grant. He knows people. If you're not going, go. If you're not praying, I appeal to you, pray.
This is the customs. These are the, the, the things that we're talking about here. These, these are the customs of the kingdom living. It says that we're not citizens of this place. We're citizens of another kingdom. And culturally, I'm sick of this place. I do not like the customs here. I'm tired of them. But Jesus gives us new customs. They sound weird to us. They sound weird to us. Come and die. That sounds weird. But he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life for my sake will find it. Sounds weird. But it's just the customs of the kingdom. And we can live those here. We are living those here. This church, we are living those here. And if you want to do it more, I implore you to pray. So let's pray.